0: Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Man-made religion is based upon a works-oriented system. If I build something, surely I get extra points in heaven, don't I? And God says, no, that's not the way it works. Salvation is by grace through faith, and that... Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not bad to have building projects that are for the right reasons, but that's not what this tower is about. And the Lord came down, verse 5, Genesis 11, to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now it seems that the tower is built according to the end of verse 5. They had built it. The city seems to be still under construction and the Lord came down. When some people look at language like this in the Bible, they say, boy, this seems to be a weird, uh, antiquated way of talking about God. Is God somewhere up there, and he has to come down and see what's going on? Are there messenger boys that are updating him on news reports from Babylon? Hey, uh, they they got the middle of the, the, the ziggurat done. They're working on the tower now, or the top. No, that's not how it is. This is called anthropomorphic terminology. How do you like that? It's a 50 cent term. What that means is it's a way for man to understand God in human terms. But we've already learned from the book of Genesis that God is not localized. He's not like man. In fact, he spoke the whole creation into existence in six days. That's pretty radical power, is it not? He knows what's going on. If he didn't know what was going on, he wouldn't come down to check out what was going on. Everybody get that logic? He knew what they were doing. He knew what they were up to. This is just a way of stating it in language that we can understand. The scene switches from earth to heaven. The Lord came down to see is the same anthropomorphism of depicting God in human terms as a scene in Genesis 18.21 when he comes down to see Sodom and Gomorrah. The sons of men indicate their origin and their frailty. It is possible, uh, combining the language of verse 5 and 8, as I mentioned before, that the tower is built, but the city is not completed. No, says uh, Stedman, this is not primitive, a primitive concept of God at all. It's an ironic expression. It's satire. Listen to this. It's a humorous expression, if you please, designed to indicate to us a very, in a very clever way the ridiculousness of this whole situation. Here's this tower that men erect, thinking of that it will take God's breath away. It will threaten him. Men think, here we are. We are wild Promethean creatures. We've dared to invade the heavens. You'd better watch out, God. But up in the real heavens, this tower is so little that God can't see it. It's so tiny that even the strongest telescope in heaven does not reveal it. So God says, I'll come down and investigate. Can't see it, just too small. Now, all of this is satire. All of this is a humorous way, but in the original language, that's kind of what's implied here. There's, there's some sarcasm going on. Man thinks he's built something great into God. It is nothing. God even said, what kind of building could you build for me that will actually house me? Would you, ever, would you all take, um, hold a place in Genesis 11 and turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. So you're gonna pass up the Psalms, the Proverbs, Isaiah chapter 40. Here's what God says, and, and a lot of this, he's responding to the false gods that Israel has um, begun to worship, or at least to try to mix their worship. This is Isaiah 40, verse 21. God says, "Through the prophet, do you not know and have you not heard Isaiah 40 verse 21? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the vault of the earth, 40:22." And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they planted, scarcely have they sown, scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, that I should be his equal, says the Holy One, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their hosts by number, who calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, and have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Here's some hope. He gives strength to the weary. and To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become tired. Weary. Let's turn back to Genesis 11. Are you weary tonight? Have you put your hands to a building project that's not really about God, but about you? Has it caused some confusion in your life? There's always a chance to build on that strong foundation on the rock instead of the sand, but you get to decide which you're going to build on. And Jesus drew a parallel between two people one who hears his words and doesn't act upon them, and another man who hears his words and does act upon him upon them. The man who hears Jesus' words and doesn't act upon them is compared to a man who built his house upon the sand, and when the storm came and the wind blew and burst against that house, it fell, and great was its fall. And the other man is a man who hears Jesus' same sermon, but he actually acts upon them, and he's like a man who built his house Upon what the rock, and the same storm comes and the same winds blow, but that house does not fall because it's been well built. This is a project. This tower is a project built on sand. And what you build your life on is what matters the most. And God does see what's going on on the planet, and He says in response to there come, let us build. Genesis eleven seven says. God says, come let us, this seems to be the divine plural, that is the triune God, and we saw this earlier in Genesis one twenty six and 28, God says, come let us go down, and they're confused their language that they might, they may not understand one another's speech. Can you imagine being a foreman on this huge building project? Project Ziggurat, Tower of Babel, go here, the lunchroom's there, you're one of the foremen. It's this huge project with all these people coming together to build. And one morning you get your coffee and you begin to give directions to one of your workers, and you sound like you're speaking a different language because you are. <laughs> and your worker's not doing what you told him to do, and you're like, hey, don't you understand what I'm saying? And he's going, me no speaking English. <laughs> What? Yesterday we were communicating perfectly. Some of you are saying this applies to my marriage. Yesterday the communication seemed to be perfectly wonderful. (laughs) And now we seem to have a failure to communicate. Amen? Do you sometimes feel like you're speaking a different language to a spouse, children? Read my lips. Sometimes you have to spell it. And can I get a witness? Oh! Do you know what that spells? <laughs> Politicians. Read my lips. No new taxes. Yeah, right. And now these people wake up in the morning and there's a building project going on, but nobody can understand anybody. Well, they can understand people in certain groups. And so somebody is over there and he said, hey, you know what he's talking about? I have no idea. I think he's gone wackadoo. I don't know what's in his coffee. I don't know what was in the donut. But he's lost his mind. Wait a minute, there's another group over here and they're saying something and that sounds a little foreign to me too. That sounds like Greek to me. And all of a sudden, mass confusion. People who could perfectly communicate and perfectly work together now cannot speak to one another anymore. God has come and confused their language. You know, language in and of itself is a miracle. How is it that we can speak words? Have you uh, just ever kind of just stopped for a second and tried to think about this scientifically? Isn't it amazing that kids even that will be raised in a dual language household can pick up both languages? You can pick up a language that you have heard but not even written and mi- language is a miracle. Um, the fact that my brain can think now and can, can communicate in words and I can recall stuff that I studied, that's a miracle. The mind is a miracle, creation of God. And even evolutionists say there is a huge gulf between man's language and the chatterings of animals. Every time my dog is barking, <laughs> I say, can you come up with something new? No. No. How many of you have heard, uh, was it was uh, Brian Regan, when he does his dog thing, and he said, imagine if you, you, know, you moved to a new neighborhood and you went out on your porch one night and you just started yelling, hey, 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 <laughs> that's what dogs do, what are they talking about? We don't know, hey, <laughs> shut up, <laughs> language is amazing. And now there's all these diverse languages. And now, think about this: every language that now came out of this situation had to now be put in a put in a written form. It's driven Bible translators crazy <laughs> over the centuries. How do we come up? With, you know, there's a lot of uh, languages right now that are still trying to do translations for these, especially in the 1040 windows. They call it in missions work, right? You have a person who will spend their whole life trying to translate the Bible into a language that you know is somewhat unique. So the Lord confused the languages. That was a miracle. Language is a miracle. Confusing the language is a miracle. How all the dynamics and mechanics worked of that worked that way, I don't know. But all of a sudden when you would say yes in whatever your native tongue was, now it came out in a different native tongue. And I've read some things on this where if this was exclusive to the Hamitic people, and remember we're dealing with Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the Semitic people, or the Shemitics, or the, the Jewish Semitic lines, if you will. Ham, the Hamitic peoples. Japheth is the Indo-European and the Hamitic peoples. Um, the people of uh, the Can- Canaanites and so forth. And they talk about in the Japhetic languages, Indo-European languages, some of you speak some of those languages like uh, Spanish and Italian and that kind of thing. There's a, there's a similarity between those Japhetic languages. There's a similarity in the Semitic languages, but in the Hamitic languages, they say there's a wide variance and, and there, there are scholars that tie this back to the tower and say that the, the focus of the people here has more to do with the Hamitic people because the Shemites would have retained Hebrew and so forth. So my point is simply this. This may have, been, this may have pointed more, uh, at least focused more on a specific people group. And the Lord, verse eight, scattered them abroad. Not only did he confuse the language, but scattered them abroad. From there over the face of the whole earth and stopped building, notice not the tower here, but the city. So this is God's action. God's response to this project is to bring confusion where there was a building project that was unified. And some people say, why would God do this? Doesn't he want humanity to be one? Well, ultimately, humanity will be one. The book of Revelation says every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will be before the throne and before the Lamb. And we will be one in Christ. And Jew and Gentile become one in Jesus Christ, but God does not want humanity in rebellion to become unified in rebellion and lose their way. And so he confused the language and he scattered the people. This is God's action. This is actually an act of mercy. When God stops you from a dumb building project, it's a mission of mercy and grace when he you know you thought you had clarity on something and maybe there's it's not there anymore could it be that it's god's grace could it be that there's been many times in our lives when god has stopped something for our good even though we thought it looked good we thought it had promise and he stopped it and the people now obviously came together by their languages and their families and they began to file out. They couldn't understand each other. There was probably frustration and confusion, and off they went. Henry Moore says, this is what God called them to do in the first place. As each family and tribal unit migrated away from Babel, not only did they each develop distinctive culture, but also they each developed distinctive physical and biological characteristics. He writes quite a bit on this, but his, his point is, is that as the people came together with their common languages and dialects, and then they migrated to specific geographical climates and areas. They began to develop DNA patterns, and those DNA patterns would now come in the major people groups that you can see throughout the world. So if you have a Semitic line, if you have a Japhetic Japhetic line, uh, Indo-European, if you have a Hamitic line, you're going to find similar characteristics in the um, appearance of these family groups. And so God causes them to scatter. They stopped the building project. Final verse for tonight. It says, therefore, it was, its name was called Babel because the Lord, the Lord's behind this, confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. What you have is you have a play on words in the Hebrew. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Some people believe that means the gate of God or uh, it ties to God's name in some way. But the Lord confused, see that word confused, some versions have confounded, is the word Balal. So you have Babel and the Lord did Balal and what you have is now a, a mingling or a mixing or a confounding that then brought confusion. So a place that they thought they would find God became a place of confusion. Because God does not want you to go after a lie. He wants you to find clarity and freedom in the truth. Have you ever just been around something that did, it smacked of a lie and you sensed it in your spirit as a Christian? There's a great story that Walter Martin tells. He tells of a african-american gentleman that got saved in his 80s and he was part of this small church that was on a main street corner like a little baptist church and he was spending some time with the pastor on the inside of the church and he left we'll call him old fred and old fred went out and uh, he encountered a jehovah's witness who had a circle of people around him and he was sharing his message and so the pastor tidied up some things and he walked out And he saw his new convert, Fred, just saved in his 80s and had been a Christian for like eight months. And he's listening to this Jehovah's Witness and the pastor thought, oh no. And he thought, I'm just going to wait and see what Fred thinks of all this. And so Fred was a pretty new Christian and the meeting broke up and he walked, the pastor walked over and said, Fred, what do you think of what that guy was saying? He goes, well, pastor, I don't like to know everything about such things. But one thing I know, something deep down inside kept saying to me, he's a liar, he's a liar, he's a liar. (laughs) That's the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. See, this was a place of confusion. God was just kind of stamping it. You understand what I'm saying here? Men, when they remove God, cause confusion. You know that uh, in... The last few decades, there have been some well-known atheists that have become theists, they've become believers, because they have lived in a world of confusion, and here's their world. They're trying to use philosophy and evolutionary theory to answer the deepest questions about life. And all evidence that's flooding in is saying exactly the opposite. Evolutionary theory is bankrupt and dead And philosophy continues to point to something higher, something greater than ourselves, something that began it all. And that story is recorded in the scriptures. And so someone who lives with a philosophy embracing what I'm gonna just call flat-out lies lives in a world of confusion. They somehow have to become their own super-being. They have to answer every question in humanism. Humanism is basically about man. Man's going to solve every problem and just uh, deal with every confusion. How are we doing? We have become more advanced, seemingly, than civilizations gone by, but we've become more effective at killing each other. We have all this technology, all these advances, but man cannot seem to figure out the basic uh, stuff of what life is about. And here it is. It's to know the God who made you. Find life in him. Then what you decide to build, you build it unto his glory. Look, God doesn't want to take stuff away. He wants to add to you. But he does not want man to live in a state of confusion. And that's where they were, whether they knew it or not. They were on the verge of disaster. And God stepped in with a message of grace. And Jesus comes and he lives and he dies. And he resurrects from the dead. And he says to to his gathered followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has a heart for the nations. And they're going to become one again in Jesus Christ and it's so neat when, we, when I look out on a Sunday or a Wednesday night and there are different tribes, tongues, and nations represented. And at one point, with one voice, we're going to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe when we get to heaven, all those languages that were many will become one again. I don't know how it's going to be in the millennial reign of Christ because I know different nations seem to still exist and they bring their glory into that city. And we're going to see the variety and diversity. But ultimately... We are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for the clarity that it brings. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that you didn't stay in heaven and just let man ruin himself. You came down in an act of mercy and grace. And in some ways, this coming down does prefigure you coming down to die for us, that we might have life. You came down and you left your heavenly abode to uh, live that perfect life that we could not live and die, that we might have life itself in you. And we're just so grateful that your love is that amazing. We don't always understand everything that you do, Lord, but we do understand that you are good, that your love is amazing, that your grace is uh, poured out constantly in our lives. You've saved us from dumb building projects and you've brought us to Jesus and sometimes we've had to take that walk with fewer people around us so we might hear your voice clearly. We've had to migrate sometimes away from certain things and to greener pastures and still waters and that's not always easy, Lord, but it's right and it's good and it's true. And thank you that as we're gonna go on in the book, we're gonna see Abram called out of a family of idolatry And he will begin to uh, have that line birth where the Messiah will come. And this conflict of the ages that we see beginning in Babel with demonic activity, no doubt, Satan behind much of what occurs here, trying to bring people into a lie. Thank you that you are the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. You're here tonight, and it's not by accident that you're here. And if you have not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that he came down for you. He came down to bring clarity and truth and love and hope and grace in your life. And you must open the door to him. The handle is on your side. And if you will open the door, he will come in. The key to opening that door is faith. And it includes repentance. It's Instead of doing it your way, you say, I'm gonna do it uh, your way, O Lord, and... If you want to pray that right now, just with your head and heart bowed, it's something like this. And I would just encourage you to pray it and, and uh, make it official now. Don't wait because you don't know what a day will bring. It's something like this. Pray it if it's you. Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Please forgive me. Bring truth and hope and clarity into my life. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. I believe in your death and your resurrection. I believe that you are God. Maybe you've been a backslidden Christian and you've been listening to the wrong voices and you need to come back to God. I'm not gonna give you that prayer, but I think you know what you need to say. And Father, for this precious congregation, thank you that they put their hands to a good work. Continue to bless them, strengthen them, Let us discern your voice among the many voices in this world, and let us be about your business. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The story of Abram, Oscar, is a story of faith. In Romans 4, Hebrews 11, the faith of Abram is celebrated, and it's something that we're even encouraged or exhorted to um, copy. And to do the same, to walk in the faithful footsteps of Abram. And, you know, can you imagine if you, uh, you know, you told your wife one day, hey, honey, we're moving to Nebraska. <laughs> and uh, she said, where? And you're like, I don't know. God just said, we're moving and we're going to drive until he shows us the land. I mean, that is a major step of faith. But the step of faith for Abram the Hebrew, and he will be the father, really, of the Jewish nation, was that his obedience would bless many others in him and in his family all the nations of the world would be blessed and really the the rest of the story of the book of Genesis Oscar beyond chapter 11 now is about this family through whom the deliverer will come the ultimate ark will come Christ will come and it shows you this incredible book of beginnings is really all about not only the beginning of creation not only you know the the flood and the fall of the flood and all of that but it's also about a family a family that becomes, you know, what are they, Or 70 or 75 that ultimately go to Egypt and then they just explode in growth in the book Mm -hmm. of Exodus. And so um, this is a story of faith and we want to make an application point and here's what it is. What step of faith is God calling you to right now? He's calling, you know, us to follow Jesus Christ. He's calling us to leave our comfort zones. He's calling us not, not to a list of do, 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 but to a trust relationship with Jesus Christ and the fruit that will flow out from that. What's God calling you to do today? That that would be my question to our listeners. Where is he calling you to walk by faith and not by sight so that you can please him and do what he's called you to do? One of the things that you touched on was a cultural thing that Abram had we don't understand much about culture here in the United States because uh, unless you're a first generation from another country but to leave a culture to leave a family you basically lost or left everything and anything behind so for for Abram to get up and go that cost him a lot for us here in the West when people are challenged to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, people say, well, what about, you know, if there's such a thing as a true God, what about those people that are in these other countries? And believe it or not, God is speaking to them like you have mentioned. He is coming to others, and he is coming to you. So there's no need really right now to worry about what about those other people in desolate places. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again,